Welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Othman, a biblical church centered on Christ. Open your Bibles to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, and then we're going to flip over our Bibles and look to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Philippians 2, 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is the third part of a four-week sermon series called My Place. We're looking at our identity as a, uh, in Christ, and not only that, our identity in serving in our connection in a church. Two weeks ago, we looked at what it means to be saved. Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Have you walked this aisle here and taken my hand or Brother Hurt's hand and say, I want to trust and believe in Jesus. Our first step to being finding our home with the Lord is making Jesus your Lord and Savior. Then last week we looked at baptism. Baptism is the public sign of what Christ has done in your life. It's an outward sign of what Christ is doing inside of you. Baptism doesn't save you. Jesus saves you, but we are commanded by the Lord, to make it public, our identity with Christ. If you're saved, you need to receive believer's baptism. We had a a father and a son last Sunday come forward to receive baptism. Maybe you this Sunday need to do that. Today, we are going to be looking at what it means to serve. Jesus Christ did not save you to sit in a pew. He saved you to serve him. We are set apart for the Lord. We never retire as believers. We never retire in our service to Jesus. We are to be faithful all the way to the point of when we go home to be with the Lord. You know, we just honored Walt. Walt Bowman, although Walt, he kept telling me he was sort of retired, but he worked every day, like 10 hours a day, so that didn't quite make any sense, but be that as it may, even up to when he physically could. I talked to him just a few days before he went to be with the Lord. He longed for and looked forward to every Sunday. He was coming here even when no one else was coming here. When he would still come, I think last Memorial Day, when it, we barely had anybody here, he was still walking down the aisle holding the flag, very proud of his service to our Lord and also his service to our nation in the army. So, That is an example of someone like Walt Bowman, who even up to all the way to the point of death, he was still serving the Lord. We're going to see here in the Bible, God commands us to do this. I want to give you some background information. We're going to look at this instruction here from a man named Paul. He discipled people. Discipleship means he poured his life and he invested in others. And the two people we're about to see where he discipled He discipled a young man named Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor. He pastored a church called Ephesus. Paul planted that church and kind of installed Timothy as the young pastor there. And that's why the books of 1 and 2 Timothy were written there to Timothy to encourage him, to give him some instructions and expectations on what's going to come his way. But not only that, Paul, he was one of these guys, he found himself in prison several times, and 
He went to Rome later on in life, and he was imprisoned in Rome. And he planted a church called Philippi. Well, the church in Philippi, they knew Paul was in prison in Rome, so they wanted to send him a, a kind of a gift of appreciation, a, a, a thank you note, um, some, uh, an offering to him. And they had this gentleman named Epaphroditus, who was kind of a messenger. He was just a servant. And he came to visit Paul while Paul was in jail. He was behind bars. And Epaphroditus was a blessing and encouragement to Paul. So Paul wrote the letter of Philippians and gave it back to Epaphroditus to bring back to the church. And that's where we get the book of Philippians. It's a prison epistle meaning he wrote it while in prison. And so that's where we're going to pick up here. We're going to look at uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30, and we're going, to, we're going to warn ourselves about the hidden sin of entitlement. Have you ever heard of that word, entitlement? Entitlement is when we feel like we deserve something, we're owed something, it's... Um, it's about me. I'm, I've worked hard. I'm entitled to this. I get my discount. I want, I want stuff on sale or I want it free. It's just, you have a, it's, it's easy to develop an entitlement mentality, especially today in 2021. And the Bible warns us about that. That is not how the Lord wants us to think. God wants us to have an attitude that's other-centered. First, it needs to be God-centered. Secondly, it needs to be centered on others. It is more... It, we receive a greater blessing in our lit life when we give than we, when we receive. So that's what we're going to be here looking at. Learning how to serve as believers. Yesterday morning, if you go to Keeneland, I was there real early in the morning, if you get out there... Well, our race course down the street here. If you get out there at 7 a.m. on Saturday, you can, you can actually walk right on up all the way to the track where the horses, and they, I guess it's because it's so cool, they run the horses, I guess, right at sunrise. Lots of horses were out. And Sherry and I were there at the track, and we were looking at some of the horses, and what they're training, I guess, for the, the races in October, or whenever the next races are for And... I saw something I've never seen before, how they train these horses. They actually take two horses, and they put a bar and attach them next to each other. So they are literally right next to each other. You've got one horse here, and then like a foot and a half, there's another horse. And some type of bar is attached, so they can't, uh, they can't go separate ways. And you, you wonder, I went and researched, so why are they training the horses this way? Why are these horses running parallel? What they're doing, they're teaching the horses to run with a herd. They have to learn, and a, a racehorse has to learn to run side by side another horse. I guess because if you ever watch a horse race, which I know we all have, they are literally right next to each other, running the race. And a horse has to get comfortable and familiar with running literally side by side down the racetrack. Not, not 20 feet apart, but parallel. 
And I thought, what a perfect example of how believers serve as Christians. We serve, all of us do, side by side, parallel. You don't have one person going off over here. You don't have another just doing its own thing here. You're, you're going down the course, and we're going to see here in 2 Timothy, he's going to talk about this. We're, we're just like two racehorses running side by side, knowing our ultimate goal is heaven. We're going home to be with the Lord. But in the meantime, you are running a race. You are headed side by side with other believers with the same goal in mind. And obviously the same goal is living your life for King Jesus. Serving your life using the gifts and skills God and resources God has given you to do kingdom work and kingdom ministry. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. Now I hope in the Lord Jesus Christ to send Timothy to you. Timothy, remember, he's a young pastor. So that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, but not those of Jesus Christ. I mean, Paul's saying, back even 2,000 years ago, folks were still selfish. Today, folks are selfish. I mean, it's the same old problem. Some sins never change. The sin of selfishness has continued on. But you know his proven character. Talking about his character of Timothy. Because he has served with me, that word served is used. He served with me in the gospel ministry like a son and a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I can see how things go with me. How things go with me, Paul's in prison. He doesn't know what's going on with his life. He's stuck in Rome, and he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi. A Papadice is going to deliver it, and he's saying, you know, I'm still, uh, Timothy's here, he's visiting me, and I hope on his way to Ephesus, he can stop by and visit you and encourage you too. So he's, he's, he's talking favorably, kind of giving a letter of recommendation about Timothy. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. He didn't make it. He didn't get to, he didn't get to go back and see them. But I considered it necessary to send you a paradise. Now, this is the messenger. He's delivering the letter. My brother, it means he's saved, his brother. Co-worker and fellow soldiers. Those are all terms of endearment describing our Christian life. That's what we are. We're co-workers together. We are brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ, and knowing that we're fellow soldiers. That means there's a battle. This is wartime language. The battle is we are fighting against the devil. He wants to prevent, he wants to knock us out of the race. He wants to sideline us in our Christian commitment. There's way too many Christians past year that are, that are at Bedside Baptist or they are just out of commission right now. And they're doing their own thing. They're not running the race anymore. They're not fighting the good fight. And Paul's saying, you don't need to be that way. You're a fellow soldier. As well as your messenger and minister to my need. That's what Epaphroditus did. Since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. So Epaphroditus got sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also me, that I would not have, have sorrow upon sorrow. 
Meaning Epaphroditus came from this church to come visit Paul in Rome. And he got very sick apparently when he was visiting and he nearly died. But the Lord healed him. He did not die. For this reason, I am very eager to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him and that I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor. Look at that phrase. Welcome him. When somebody's bringing a message from the Lord, if someone has something to say that's biblical, we should obviously make sure they receive that honor. Epaphroditus, Paul, instead of bringing attention to himself, he's saying, what a gracious man. For him to travel all the way over here, bring me a gift. He got sick while he was visiting me. I had an opportunity to disciple him and pray for him that he would be healed and God healed him. You should honor him for his commitment. It goes on to say here, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. Now flip over in your Bible to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. While you turn there, I want to tell you about a phrase that is so common today and it's plaguing people. And that's called FOMO. It's fear of missing out. If you go talk to anybody under 30 and you ask them to do something, do you know what they'll tell you? I'll think about it. I'll let you know. What they're saying by that is, I'm going to weigh my options. If nothing better comes along, I'll join you. It's fear of missing out. Have you all heard of this? I think a couple years ago I talked about this. Sure, I think I did. Fear of missing out is the most wishy-washy answer you can give anyone. Fear of missing out says, yeah, your invitation, it's, it's, it's okay, it's pretty good, but we'll just see what else is out there. It's kind of like if someone were to ask you on a date, you say, well, you're pretty good, but we'll just wait. I've still got till the weekend. Maybe another offer might come along. And if I don't hear anything, I'll take your offer. And we'll do something Saturday night. That mentality, fear of missing out, as living for the next event, for the next thing, for the next invitation, that will destroy your spiritual life. Because what you're always telling God, and you're always telling folks, is that I'll go to church as long as there's nothing else going on. I'll, I'll come and read my Bible. And I'll give that time to you, Lord, if, there's, if I don't have anything else on my schedule. And it's rooted in selfishness. And Paul is telling us here, I thank you for Epaphroditus. He took his time to come visit me, to meet my needs, to bring me a gift, a forgotten about man locked up in prison. You know, they say folks in prison... After a couple of years, the only folks who visit them is their mother. Hey, everybody forgets about folks in prison. They're, they're out of sight, out of mind. That's how Paul felt. And Papaditis, his church in Philippi, they came and brought their gift. Say, we remember what you did. You did a work in my life. 
I received an email this week. It was actually sent to me to read to Brother Hurd about someone that he led to Christ and baptized in the 70s. The 70s. I haven't even had a chance to read it to him yet. But I'm going to read it to you, Brother Hurd, on Tuesday. Because Monday's a holiday. I won't see him Monday. I want you to, let me just repeat what I just said. Brother Hurd, and I have no clue, the man lives in South Alabama. I don't know him, Brother Hurd. I'm going to, I'm, I'll have to give you the info. Man emailed me. He says, I know it's Brother Hurd. He doesn't have email. But I just want you, Pastor, let him know how much I appreciate him back in the 70s at Gardenside Baptist Church leading me to Christ and baptizing me and, and, and ministering to my family. Brother, that was over 40 years ago. That there is a... He's, that man did not forget. He's emailing me to tell him, thank you. That's what we're seeing here. That is an example of a lifetime of service. Listen, that's what we're seeing here in this scripture passage. Paul planted this church in Philippi. And the church didn't forget about him. Who led you to Christ? Maybe you've been saved 40, 50 years. Have you gone back to your pastor 50 years ago and thanked him for telling you about Jesus? Maybe your family, if you had a family member or a Sunday school teacher or a VBS worker, someone was instrumental in leading you to faith in Christ. Have you gone and thanked them, even if it's been decades and decades? And that's what's going on here. That's a decade and, and, and decades of service to the Lord. Epaphroditus is, th is thanking Paul. Here's a gift. I've never forgotten the seeds that were planted because of your ministry. Brother, heard that man in South Alabama still serving the Lord because of you. That's a story that God wants to tell through every single one of you. You might not be a staff member on church, but all of us have friends and family that you can be instrumental in pointing co-workers, people at school, pointing people to Jesus. Look here, 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is some of actually my favorite scripture. I love this because I think about, you, look at, you, you reflect back on your life, and these eight verses here, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 8, this, you, should, you should have this read at your funeral. Almost everybody should read this scripture. When you're looking back on your life, I want to tell you about 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy very likely was the very last letter Paul wrote. Paul wrote 27% of the New Testament. 13 books and letters of the Bible. And this is the very last one. Paul had a lifetime, 40, 50, 60 years of serving the Lord. And now he's come to the very, very end here. And these are the words he's going to say. He hasn't given up. He's never once threw in the towel. And I share this because this, needs to be, this is a picture of what the Lord wants us to do. We never retire honoring and serving and worshiping the Lord. No matter what your age is, you're physically able, you should be here at Broadway Baptist Church. You should join with other brothers and sisters in worshiping the Lord. 
You never know what God wants to do with you and for the opportunities God puts in your life for you to still minister to people. Whether a young adult to senior adult, God has given you a ministry. The ministry is not fear of missing out. The ministry is not selfishness. The ministry is serving other people, an other-centered life. Look what it says here. Verse 1, 2 Timothy 4.1, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of His appearing in His kingdom, preach the word. Look at this. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience in teaching. In season and out of season. That's farming language. Right now is a great time to grow your peaches, your tomatoes, your fruits, your vegetables. But probably in December or January, that's out of season. You might not grow your tomatoes here in Kentucky in, in December. It might be too cold. They wouldn't make it. What Paul is saying here is your life, there, in season, out of season, it doesn't matter. You are to be faithful to the Lord. No matter what year, no matter what season, no matter what month or week it is, even if it's a holiday weekend such as this, Memorial Day weekend, God is calling us to faithfulness to Him. He's saying, Timothy, you need to be ready. Opportunities will come at the most least likely time for you to pray with someone, to minister to someone, to invite someone to church. Look what it says here. Verse 3. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine. Is that today? Has that, has that time come now? Do people want to tolerate biblical truth? We are a biblical church here at Broadway Baptist. A lot of people don't want to hear this stuff. They, they, there will come a time. Paul's saying, Timothy, that people do not want to hear what you're saying. But that should not stop you. You don't let off the gas. You keep going. But according to their own desires, that selfishness, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. Meaning, they even multiply teachers. These false teachers, this false doctrine, and it's all around us. They just multiply themselves. They, they, they teach what they want to hear. And I'm not just talking about in the context of church. I'm even going into our culture. Your culture will pollute, our culture will pollute you. And it, it, um, the culture teaches what people want to hear, what sells, what's popular, what's trendy. There it is. They will turn away from hearing the truth and turn aside to myths, meaning people just live, believe lies all around us. But as for you, Timothy, saying you, 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 these folks here don't believe the truth, but you're different. You're, you're set apart. You're an in-season and out-of-season Christian. No matter where you're at, even if you're on vacation, you go to church. He's saying. They will turn away from your truth and turn to myths. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of evangelists. Fulfill your ministry. Me and Timothy, don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. But as for me, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, meaning Paul is about to die. He knows his time's coming to an end. And the time for my departure is close. 
I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul did not quit. He's saying, Timothy, look at my example. I didn't give up. I continued on even during difficult days. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord. Our crown is Jesus. That's our crown. We don't need any possessions. We don't need things in heaven. We have the Lord. Jesus is our possession. The crown of righteousness comes from the Lord. The righteous judge will give me on that day, and not only me, but all those who have loved His appearing. Those who are saved, who have looked forward and longed for seeing the Lord. There's a longing to see Jesus Christ. Paul is saying here, this is an example for us to remember and to be faithful in our service to the Lord. So you think about your in-season and your out-of-season. Let me ask, are you serving the Lord? This past week, what did you do for Jesus? Do you know one of the things he said here, he uses the word, this in, back in verse 2, this is what ministry looks like. This is what we're to do. We're to correct. There's always opportunity correction. Even I need correction. It's hard to believe it, but it's true. There's opportunities for rebuking others. If someone's in sin, if someone's doing something wrong, you, were, you say, hey, brother, that's not right. That's, you shouldn't do that. That's not the right thing to do. That's part of life. He goes on to say, and encourage. Encouragement is a ministry. Do you know someone who's down right now? Do you know someone who's grieving? Do you know someone who's lonely? Maybe their friends have passed away this past year. They lost their spouse. They're no longer, they no longer have the job they used to have. They're just, they've gone, they're going a unique season. It says encourage with great patience. Patience is a virtue. Patience means you bear with that person. Even through their pain. Even through their setbacks. He's saying you're being patient. And you constantly teach them the truth. That is an example of what God wants you and I to do to others. We have a ministry of teaching, correcting, encouraging. And we do it patiently. Folks don't know to... Folks don't become overnight disciples just like that. The Christian walk is a long journey. We're constantly growing in our relationship with the Lord. Knowing Him more and more. You know, I think about it. I have this up on the screen. I think about how to change your men's mindset about the church. Because a lot of times what happens, when you think of a mindset, well, and this is dangerous for us, and i tell you what's dangerous. Every time I go to a store, if you go shop at Target, or you purchase something on Amazon, the next day you get an email. And the email is an evaluation email. Even if you go to a restaurant, they get your email address. They send you an email, and you're supposed to fill out a survey of what, how your experience went. And it's a constant evaluation. Every store you visit, you get, it seems like, if, if you give them your email address, even if you go buy donuts, you get it. I mean, everywhere you go, they're giving you these things. 
Well, you fill out a survey and you can enter and win a prize for free donuts or a free shirt or whatever if you complete it, and it lets us know how to improve our service with you. That's dangerous because what it does is we're, it makes us constant evaluators. All we're doing is walking around thinking, I had great service, I had great food, the people were nice. And it's like we're walking around with a, a, a clipboard evaluating everything in our life. We have to give our thoughts and our feelings on everything we do. That thinking is dangerous because you can approach church and the Lord that way. You basically come to church and then you get a survey on your way out the door and you evaluate it. And the question is, well, what did you think? What did you think? What does that mean? What do you mean, what did I think? I've come to church to encounter the Lord. It's not what I think. My life is to please Him. It's what God thinks. Is my life, is my worship a pleasing aroma sacrifice that I'm offering and presenting my life to the Lord? Guys, that is why we're here. That is your life. The Bible's telling us to serve the Lord is not my evaluation of everything. God, I'm here for you. Lord, I'm yours. My hands are your hands. My feet are your feet. My mouth, my words, they're your words. God, I'm yours. Every Sunday, you come here and present yourself to God. And this mindset of constantly, what did you think? What did you enjoy most? Were people friendly? Were they kind? No. Run from that, that, that thinking in regards to church. Worship is not about us. It's a mindset of, Lord, I'm here. I present myself to you. How can I serve you? This is my offering. My life is yours, Lord. We move from a mindset of, I want what I want in my life to God I will serve. I will give. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Look up here on the board. Last thing. How to change your mindset about church. Last, few, last things here. I want you to walk away with this. This is how you want to change your mindset. This is important. Number one, you want to make a commitment to quit, quit being a critic or judge about church. It's not, I'm not talking about our church. It could be any church. It's easy to judge and be critics of everything. We're trained to be critics. And God does not want us. We never saw Paul. He wasn't trained as a critic. He was an encourager. He wanted to teach people biblical truth. He wanted to point people to the Lord. Constant evaluation is spiritually dangerous. It's dangerous. We're asking the question and answering the question, what did you think about, and fill in the blank. What did you think about? You ask that question to your children. You ask that question to your grandchildren. You are creating church hoppers. They will go from church to church, preacher to preacher, Sunday school class to Sunday school class, because they're in evaluation mode. Dangerous thinking. What did you think about such and such? You'll go from restaurant to restaurant. You just go whatever, store to store, whatever it is, because that's how we're trained to think. 
We are the evaluators of our clipboard. And we, we, as, as if God is, is wanting us to give him an A. I hope, I hope I score high with Daniel's approval. No, it's the other way around. We present ourselves to the Lord. We want his favor. He doesn't want our favor. Number two, you want to begin praying every day for God to provide opportunities for you. This morning, did you pray for God to give you an opportunity to pray with someone, to maybe meet a financial need, to come here and look for someone you can bless and encourage someone else? Do you know someone who's down right now? They need an encouraging text. They need an encouraging email. When you, when you see a need, God might be allowing you to see that need so you can just give that word of, of encouragement and blessing. Pray for them. Ask God to give that to you all the way up to the point of when you go to home to be with the Lord. Paul says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. His life is an offering to the Lord. We never retire. We never quit ministering. You want, you want to be fulfilled spiritually? God calls you to serve Him. And thirdly and finally, begin praying every day for the leaders and members of your church. Do you pray for your pastor? Do you pray for Brother Hurd? Do you pray for those children right now in children's church and upcoming in three weeks when we have VBS? Are you praying for children to get saved? Are you praying for senior adults in our community who are lost to get connected and grow closer to the Lord here in Lexington? We pray for God to advance His kingdom through the us. Praying for God to use our spiritual gifts, our Sunday school teachers, our ministerial staff, for great things to happen. You shift to this mindset when you begin praying for your leaders, praying for your members, praying for opportunities for you, and you get out of the evaluation mindset thinking, what did you think about? I promise you, God will change your thinking from this selfish FOMO, which is fear of missing out, seeing what's next, what are my options out there, this serial dating, serial marriage, changing all the time to a total commitment to the Lord. Christ is calling you to be more committed to Him. And the way you do that is you need to identify, God, where can I serve? Where's my place? If you don't see a place, if nobody comes to you, you create that place. Lord, I, you don't need to be sitting around waiting for the nominating committee to nominate you for something or waiting for an email invite. You just, you, you make it happen. You take the initiative. Paul went and planted these churches not because he received an invitation for, from the Christians in Philippi. There were no Christians in Philippi. He went and planted it and started and started praying for the people. Remember Lydia? He goes to this little town in Acts and just prays for the Lord. There's a lady named Lydia there who's, who's selling purple cloth. And he leads her to the Lord. God starts bringing people in our path. 
that we can serve and minister to. I'm going to ask you this morning, are you serving the Lord? Do you have this mindset, whether in season or out of season, God, I'm yours. Run from this dangerous, constant evaluation, fear of missing out, me-centered mentality that is plaguing so many of our lives. If you're not happy with something, you make it better. Say, Lord, what can I do to improve this? There's a need, you meet that need. There's no reason for every single one of us not to constantly be serving the Lord here at Broadway. Men, for some of you, that might mean you need to start praying that maybe God will raise you up to be a deacon. Women, for some of you, that might be mean you maybe know other women who are, aren't coming to church, maybe they've lost their husband the past few years, and they need an invitation to Sunday school. They need an invite to come join a group, a community group, a group of friends. And God's placed them in their heart that a simple invitation is all they need to come here and start learning and growing closer to the Lord. Broadway needs to be your church home for you to serve the Lord. God's brought you here for a purpose. God is using you. God has great plans. Whether you're a Timothy, Timothy was a young pastor. Paul was discipling. Epaphroditus was a messenger who was coming bringing a gift to Paul while in prison. Paul loved and encouraged both of them. They both had a huge part in the ministry of the gospel. No matter what your role is, God has a place for you here at Broadway. I'm going to invite everyone to stand up. We're going to have our invitation. This is our invitation to respond to the good news. Brother Hurd's going to stand here. I'm going to stand right here. If you want to make this your church home, we'll be standing up front waiting for you to respond. We're going to sing in our hymn book, hymn number four or 544, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. David Dale's going to lead us in our song. I'll be standing out here waiting for you to respond to Jesus.